Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your mercies are new every day. That's why none of us are consumed. Help us not to be haughty, Lord, and realize that we stand by grace, not by our strength and our own efforts. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to die in our place. We had no way to escape our plot without you sending your son. And we're thankful, Lord, that our sins have been forgiven because of our trust and faith in him. We thank you, Jesus, for walking a mile and two and three miles in our shoes. You were tempted in every point, yet without sin, and we honor you for that. We worship you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at chapter 24. Uh, now, as, you, as, I, as we go through here, you're going to hear about the uh, book of the covenant. And... Um, so I've been doing a lot of research about Egypt and things like that. I'm trying to, I'm regrounding myself in the faith, uh, trying to learn more about creation, and and uh, now it's getting to be a little more common to believe that the first people who had writing was the Hebrews, which makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, makes sense that they uh, were, and they know now who's what they. What we say letters and the alphabet come from? What was that called? Anybody remember that from school? Anyway, uh, we now know that's not the first letter. That's what we were all taught in school. But um, So it looks like the Hebrews were the first people to read and write, which makes sense, right? Because God wrote... For Moses, right? He wrote the Ten Commandments himself, and then um, he gave Moses the ability to read and write, I suppose, and so here we are. So uh, when you read through here, uh, they're going to mention the Book of the Covenant before, you know, the Bible was certainly put together. God was already giving them letters, commands written out. So they, obviously, God had taught them how to read or whatever. So uh, Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. That's probably rolled off your lips before, right? Anything God asks me to do, I'll do it. Uh, and all the people answered and said this, And all the words which the Lord has said you're going to do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He wrote them. So this was before... Uh, and and they know that Job obviously knew how to write. We were talking about that this morning. Andrew brought up that he knew a lot about, you know, the heavenlies and everything. Job talks about a, an animal with a tail as big as a cedar tree. That sounds like a dinosaur to me, right? He talks about a fire-breathing creature. 
So God can make anything. We think, well, there can't be any such thing as a dragon because it couldn't survive. Well, yes, yeah, it could if God designed it that way. Uh, how many of y'all heard me mention the Brachinus beetle? The Brachinus beetle discharges when he lets off. <laughs> he discharges 360 degrees out of his back end and lives to fly another day. Now that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God. What about those birds that fly, is it 2,500 miles every year, lay their eggs, they leave before the eggs are hatched. And the little ones fly 2,500 miles after they're born back to where the rest of the birds are at. What problem you got he can't fix? I mean, he can do anything. You're God. I'm going to go, I'm going to live in Sunday school. We think we get too old to remember that God parted the Red Sea. Not me. He can do it all. And he's able and capable and willing. And he says, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. <clears throat> Just, you know, Job penned down. That's the oldest written book. It's not the oldest information. If you've been keeping up with Job there, it's the oldest written book, but not the oldest information. Most likely Job was a contemporary around Abraham. So, they were writing, these people who knew God were writing before uh, the world gives. Of course, the world don't going to give God credit for nothing. And they rose early in the morning and they built an altar to the, at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Again, right? And be obedient, right? How many of you have heard those words come off your mouth, right? And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, all these things are pictures of what's coming, right? <clears throat> God's using... His people, he called Abraham out. Abraham was a Gentile. He became a Jew because God set him apart, gave him the seal of circumcision, and said, your line's who I'm going to use and bring my, my only begotten son through. So that's how all this got started. There were no Jews before Abraham. Abraham was a Chaldean. God created a new group of people by separating Abram, who later became Abraham, from his people. Now that's a picture of salvation. That's what's supposed to happen in our life. God separates us from the world and creates a new person inside of us. Gives us the circumcision of the heart and the seal of the Holy Spirit so that we are now his people. Right, So all those are types and shadows. And when you read the Old Testament, you need to look at it from that perspective. You need to say, what's God saying to me? How does God conduct himself based on this criteria? whatever?" And then where is Jesus in all this? You need to be looking for Jesus the whole time you're reading the Old Testament. Because he's all in it. 
pictures of salvation. You've heard me say over and over about the first few verses in Genesis is about salvation. The earth was without form and void and darkness covered it, right? Then the light came, the spirit moved. That's who we are. We're without form. Well, we think we're something before we get saved. But we're without form. We're void inside. Darkness covers our lives because we are in sin. And then the light comes and the spirit comes and we have new life. So everything you read in here, you've got to be looking for Jesus and looking for how God conducts himself based on those certain things you're reading, right? How he conducts himself toward people, toward you, toward I. Paul said everything that was written beforehand is for our learning so that we can understand how God does things, how he conducts himself, what he's looking for. So this book of the covenant, he read it again. Everybody's all in, right? Sounds like... Um, everybody's all in. I had a guy who went on an inner city mission trip with me, and he said, he said uh, he was so excited about, about what he'd saw and involved himself in. We were getting ready to leave and go home, and he, the last words he said to me, because he had so excited about what he'd got involved in, he said, you're going to see a lot of me. I ain't seen him since. It's been 30 years. Here's what I say to people. We're all about missions. We, we spend a lot of money in missions here. We support a lot of mission work. We try to get involved in mission work. But mission trips don't change your life. The Word of God's what changes your heart. You can get worked up and excited about something, but if your heart don't change, it doesn't matter. That's not what changes our heart. The Word of God's what changes our heart. And so, you know, you can get worked up about a certain situation and involve yourself in it, but it takes the Word of God to change people's heart. Mission trips don't save anybody. And, and we're supposed to do them, and we are heavily involved in those. I think last year we spent $160,000 in missions here between Basilea and Living Water and the well down there. So we're heavily in the missions, but it don't change anybody's life. What changes people's lives is encountering the Lord like Paul did on the road to Damascus. That's what changes people's lives. Feeding somebody in a food line is good. We have a food pantry. You're supposed to do that, but it won't change your life. What will change your life is having an encounter with the Holy Spirit and letting the Word of God flood your heart. That's what will change your life. And he says, uh, Moses took the blood. Again, they said, we're all in. The blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, who we know later got in trouble, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw God of Israel, the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. And before I, let me just talk about Nadab and Abihu for a minute because it's another book. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, the Bible, the Lord killed them. Now, they're, they're doing good right now, it looks like. They're in, and, and, and probably they were saying the same thing everybody else said. Yeah, we're in, we'll be obedient. But when you get over there and find out where God actually killed them, the Lord killed them, kind of like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, right? And, and a lot of people, when they read that in the book of Acts, they wish that was in the Old Testament. They wish that would have happened before the resurrection so they could blame it on the Old Covenant. But it ain't blamed on those. God, the Holy Spirit, dropped them dead in the church house. 
And, and Nadab and Abihu, uh, when they came to God, the Bible says the reason the Lord destroyed them is because they brought strange fire into the tabernacle. Now, if you think about that in a natural sense, you're thinking, how can that be? You know, fire is fire, right? It, but, but they were told to make the fire a certain way, and they shortcutted, you know, that's a word to all of us, ain't it? You know, God tells you to do things a certain way, and you're going to shortcut them. See, because we're used to microwaves and drive throughs We don't like to wait. Like I preached last Sunday, we don't want to wait 40 years. We don't want to come home after 80 years working on that boat and look at your wife and say, give me a cup of coffee. It's wearing me out. Building this boat, waiting on God to send that rain. <laughs> right? I mean, we don't like to wait. Let's be real. We don't like to wait. What about uh, David when he went to get the Ark of the Covenant? He was so excited. His heart was right, but he was doing it wrong. I don't care how right your heart is. If you're doing it wrong, you need to start doing it right. You don't need to be shortcutting God or taking shortcuts on it. And so what happened was they were bringing that in on carts. The Bible gave clear instructions that when the ark was to be moved, it was to be put in staves. They made rings on it so the poles could be slid in those rings and they could be carried or borne up on the shoulders of the priest. Well, they got in a hurry and they thought because they were excited and was doing the right thing that God would just forget about or, or they didn't pay attention one. And the ark started to fall off the cart, right? And Uzziah tried to steady it. All he was doing is trying to keep it out of a mud hole. What's wrong with that? But he wasn't allowed to touch the ark. It was illegal for him to touch the ark. Now, I'm going to say something here. You don't get to play by your own rules. You don't get to make up your own way. You don't get to excuse yourself from what God's asked you to do in this word right here. We're all under the same word. We don't get to do what we want to do. We have to do it his way. And so, he, studied, he dies that day. And David's tore all to pieces. It's kind of like, there's a lot of examples of this kind of stuff in the Bible. It's kind of like Joshua, right? They went and overthrew Jericho. Everybody's feeling good, feeling high. And he says, ah, I'll just send a few guys down there to whoop up on Ai and finish them off and bring them back. Well, they go down there and get run out of there. And the Bible says Joshua's laying on his face crying like a wine baby. And God says, get up. And he said, you got sin in the camp. And so, instead of those guys aching, instead of him aching, maybe finding a little mercy from God and stepping out and saying, it's me, that's why we got in trouble. He makes them pass the whole nation through. <laughs> and he's all, he finally, he's the only guy left. Of course, they destroy him. But what... The, the Jericho represents the first fruits or the tithe off the promised land. God said, you bring everything from Jericho to me. That's the tithe off the promised land. That's the first fruits. You guys can have the rest of the spoils and the rest of the promised land. Well, that wasn't good enough for Achan. He stole from God. He stole the tithe. He stole the first fruits. And that's why they got whipped at Ai, and that's why he and his family lost their life. Uh, we know how God is. If Achan would have jumped right up and said, you know what, I, I got in the flesh, I got tempted, here it is. I, but he didn't do that. He made them pass the whole nation through before he said that. So there's plenty of examples. So David's 
kind of whining too. And they have to get all that straightened out and get the ark carried in the proper way God wants it to do. You remember when, um, you read, read how the ark was built. Read about uh, Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain. The Bible says the wood wasn't thrown in a sack and packed up there. The Bible says the wood was put in order. So we don't just, we're, we got such a nonchalant attitude in our culture that it rubs off a lot of times on our Christianity. God's holy. He really is holy. Now, He loves us, and there's no greater proof than Him nailing His Son to that tree. But He's still holy. And He's righteous, and He deserves our respect, and He deserves our obedience. And He deserves for us to do it His way and not our way. And so they're, they're telling all this, and Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, these, and, and it says, and under his feet is were paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity, but on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hands. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tables, tablets of stone, and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So that's a lot being said there about what all they knew. I mean, we were, as we go through the book of Job, you'll be real impressed of how much science he knows. <laughs> when they, th we, we think everybody was a dummy till a cell phone come out. And that's, <laughs> I think they're making us dummies, if you want my opinion. They're certainly making generations restless because they can't, they don't turn their minds off at all. And so uh, he says, uh, I'm going to give you what you, the law and the commandments, this covenant. Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and on the cloud that covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Once again, Moses is waiting for seven days. We've got to get out of this Americanized mentality. And by the way, God does not fly an American flag above his throne. <laughs> We've got to get out of this American mentality. We asked for it today. Why ain't it here tomorrow? Right? We could call it the Amazon mentality, right? Ask for it today. You get it tomorrow. God has this. He's working on us. And sometimes when he withholds things or when he allows us to go through trials, he's doing stuff inside of us. Have any of you been to South Dakota and Mount Rushmore? And Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse is, is a monument that you can actually fit seven Mount Rushmores in. That's how big it's going to be when it's finished. It's one of their, you know, Crazy Horse is one of the leaders of those, uh, Sue, and he's, they're making this big monument of him. I've seen it a few times, and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's getting pretty detailed. This guy started building that in the 1940s, and his family, he's gone now, of course, and his family's continuing that, and they're funding that through things they do there with museums and selling things and donations, and they raffle off stuff. But the government came in there 
and tried to offer them money years ago to just finish it. Uh, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted it to be a generational thing so people could understand, you know, what's into that. But we don't, we've lost that mentality, right? We've, we've really lost a lot of that mentality. Uh, and we don't want to wait on anything. And uh, that's not how God works. He don't, he don't work that way. He, he don't just do everything in an instant with us. He takes us through trials and situations because he's doing stuff inside of us. And I, whether, we, whether we believe this or not, all of us still need stuff done inside of us. How many saw something this, just this week? <laughs> you thought, where'd that come from? <laughs> right? So God, God's doing stuff in us. And I say this half-hearted or light-heartedly. If you were God and you were going to have to live with you throughout eternity, what would you be doing to you? You know you, right? You, you know you better than you. The only person that knows you better than you is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you were God and you're looking down here and thinking, <laughs> that's probably what they said last year when I was in Texas. They probably, God said, we're, he's not ready. <laughs> Get him up. Send him over to that hospital. Let, them, let him establish a relationship with, a, with his sister out there. Let, the, let, let him see how I've got people everywhere. And let's work on him a little while longer. He's not ready. <laughs> so, you know, God's doing stuff in all of us. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he's doing stuff in me. Because I'm not fully like him. You can ask my wife. But that's my goal. Is to be like him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. What about that? Come down from the presence of God and ask for an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering, and this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze. He went after the good stuff, didn't he? That's what God told him to get. He said to get their gold, their silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. But you know what God had just done? When they came out of Egypt, He had just loaded them up with gold and silver and jewelry. The reason God wants us to give is He wants us to recognize that everything we have has come from Him. You may be good at your job, but what if that door hadn't opened? You may be smart, you may be whatever, but what if those doors hadn't been opened? What if you were laid up somewhere and you couldn't walk? I mean, what God wants us to remember is that giving is a recognition that we realize everything's come from you, that we didn't get here on our own. And so he says... Uh, he said, you're going to bring me this offering? He goes after the gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skin, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and sweet incense, onyx stones. I mean, he's getting all the good stuff. So he's getting ready to set the tabernacle up, 
get the priests ready, get the sacrificing going on a regular basis. All that's getting ready to happen. Now, next week we'll start unfolding uh, what all this stuff means. All this stuff is a picture of Jesus, a picture of God's work. Uh, he says, and one of the badger skins is most likely porpoise skins. Uh, what I've studied on that. It's not a badger like we would call it, like we would see up in Michigan. <laughs> uh, because they needed waterproof skin for that. So uh, we'll, do some, we'll do some digging on all that uh, between here and the next time. Uh, onyx stone, breast, I'll probably bring you some handouts because this is really good stuff. This tabernacle, you know, we use it. Uh, can you shoot that up on the screen, Andrew? <clears throat> we use this for our prayer journey. But there's so much more on this. You know, this is what Moses is getting ready to set up. And so when we pray, or uh, this is what I've taught for a number of years now, you don't have to be mechanical, but when you pray, you want to make sure you give God thanks, right? The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So I don't care how bad you feel, I don't care what your, what your circumstances is, I don't, before you say anything, you ought to be giving thanks. You ought to be thankful. Somebody said, yeah, but I've sinned and I need to get that off me. You need to be thankful you've got a place to go get it off you. Uh, and so come in the gates with thanksgiving. You can't even get in the gate unless you're thankful. So come in the gates with thanksgiving. Then his courts, we give him praise. And then we're met with this altar of burnt offering or the brazen altar where we do repent. God wants you to repent soon after you come into his presence. Because these other things that are going to go on during your time with him will be hindered if you've got something on you. Right? It's a distraction. If you have got something between you and God, it will keep you from receiving. You, you need to get that off you. And that's why God made this the first piece of furniture. Come in with thanksgiving, courts with praise. Then repent. Then speak the word over yourself. Sanctify, wash yourself, cleanse yourself, give your mind a bath so that your mind can get in tune. Because once you get past this, out of this outer court into the holy place, then the Holy Spirit is here, represented here in the light of the world, of course. And He's going to get involved. The Holy Spirit's going to start directing your prayer. That's another thing. Most people, when they pray, they skip every bit of this and come right back here and, and make... They, all they know about prayer is prayer request. That's the only thing they think prayer's for. That it's just making a request. Telling God what we think He ought to be doing. And if we're brazen enough, we'll tell Him when to do it. But And then a lot of people skip all this and they run straight back out. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this over the years. Well, I can't pray more than two minutes. It's because you don't know how to pray. I can't pray more than two minutes. It's because you're skipping all the furniture. And James said you're praying and you don't get what you're asking for because you pray amiss. The reason you pray amiss or I would pray amiss is because we skip all this interaction with the Holy Spirit and God's Word. We get back here and tell Him what we want instead of being directed by the Holy Spirit. 
And so one of the things that I said to people, uh, I've used in my own example, I went to the creek bank to pray, and I was praying for somebody I loved, and I said, Lord, help them, bless them. And it's like I'd run into a wall, and the Lord said, bless them? He said, I have blessed them. And in fact, they were the most blessed people in my circle, materially in every kind of way like that. He said, you need to pray that I'll break them. Now that's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because it's not hard to pray, or it is hard to pray for God to break somebody that you really love. But that's because we come in here and we just tell God what we think He ought to be doing instead of letting the Holy Spirit speak to us, right? And give us direction. That way we don't pray amiss. And then, so all this is a prayer time. So if you work your way through here and you... Thank, give thanks, you give praise, you repent. Shoot, if you get called up, you might have to repent a long time. <laughs> but then you get washed, speak the word over you. You're washing yourself with the word, renewing your mind. This is what I call having a cup of coffee with God. Just go over here and be real with Him. He knows it anyway, right? He reads our mail before we open it. So just I, I just go over here and be real with God. If you feel bad, tell Him. If you're upset, tell him. If you don't understand something, let him know. He may or may not give. Then the Holy Spirit gets involved. Then when I get ready to pray my prayers of petition, and all these scriptures are here, then I've put myself in a position to be praying the will of God instead of my will. And then I go behind this veil. Now your prayer's not done. If you've not learned how to pray and keep your mouth shut yet, you've not fully learned how to pray. Because when you go behind this veil, you shut up. And you wait on the Lord and let Him speak back into you. That's why this was set up this way. You go back here, prayer, sometime in your prayer time, you need to salah. Have you seen that word in the book of Psalms? You need to wait upon the Lord. You need to meditate. If your prayer time is all about you blab babbling, you're messing up. You need to learn how to be still and know that He is God. So there's times when you praise and thanks, your request, then you, then you sit before the Lord and wait on Him. Now, there's so much more to this, though. That's what we have, have majored in because we want people to be able to pray and, and have success. A lot of people don't pray because they feel frustrated with it, right? Because of whatever. But all this is pictures of Jesus, too. He is the lamb that was sacrificed. He is our sanctification. He is the bread that come down from heaven, right? He is the light of the world, right? He is the sweet-smelling savor that goes before the Lord. It is His blood that is on the Ark of the Covenant in the heavens. These, if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant in the New Testament is His empty tomb. Because when they went in there, there was an angel on each end of where He was laid, right? Just like this, two cherubims, one on each end. There was an angel on each end of His tomb. He was gone, and there lay His blood-stained garment. That's our mercy seat, the fact that he was resurrected. Because Paul said, if he's not risen, our hope's in vain. 
So that's the mercy seat in the New Testament. But all of this stuff points to Jesus. All right? That's the first thing you want to see, really. And I saw that years ago. The, this prayer journey, the Holy Spirit began to unfold to me after I learned what all this was about Jesus. There's this stuff on the outside with all these silver uh, clasps and stuff. speaks to redemption. It speaks to his humanity, him taking on the flesh. All that stuff we'll, we'll go over uh, in our next session. He says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the furnishings, just you shall make it. Let me back up. He said, uh, put these onyx stones, the stones will be set on the ephod and the breastplate. Now that's for the high priest. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So now we are the sanctuary, right? Now he dwells inside of us. This building is going to be burned to the ground probably someday soon because Jesus is coming. But these buildings don't mean anything to God other than they're just a place for us to house and come and be together as his body. He lives inside of us. That's, that's the new covenant. But this is a picture of all that. God wants to be with his people. And so it says, According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the furnishings, just you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, and we saw that. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, a cubit and a half its height, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it. You shall make it on the molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, put them in the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side, and you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now you're talking about that piece of furniture that is in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. That's where God would manifest himself. So all this gold represents deity. That's God's place, if you'll have it. That's his place to manifest himself, reveal himself. That's the most sacred place. We're going to work from the furthest inside out to the outside. Why do you think that's true? Because if it ain't right in here, nothing else matters. I don't care how spiritual we think we are. I don't care how many soup kitchens we stand in. If it ain't right in here, it, then coming out, nothing else will be right. So right there is where it all starts. It starts with Jesus being our sacrificial lamb, laying his life down, giving up the ghost, pouring out his blood. Everybody says that's what the preacher thinks. I'll give you something that I've run across. I've probably said it before, but... Um, when Jesus first was resurrected, he wouldn't let them touch him. Remember that? They said, you can't touch me. And then when he comes back, the second round, Thomas is the doubter, right? And he says, go ahead and touch me, right? I believe that between there and him saying they could touch him, that he went into the heavens and poured his own blood out on that Ark of the Covenant in the heavens because Moses was told to make everything like what's in heaven. So this stuff's in heaven. He said, I want you to make it just like heaven. So I believe Jesus had, can you imagine when Jesus showed up to heaven, there Abraham stood and thinking, wow. We knew you was the one. We knew. 
and him walking in with his own blood because that's who had to be satisfied. The blood of bulls and goats don't take away our sin. His blood had to be poured out. And so can you imagine him walking into the heavens and saying, here I am, Father, here's the blood. Going into that ark, celebrating. Then he, then he says, you can. You can touch me now. He lets them, he, he's, uh, he's allowing him to do that. But I think he, did he say in one place, I've not yet ascended to my Father? I believe that's how he said it, right? So somewhere between there and there, I believe he went into the Ark of the Covenant in the heavens to let everybody know it's finished. Can you imagine that? Whew. Man, what the Lord has done for us is simply amazing. Now, what the Old Testament did, it kept people from being, it kept people in the mercy of God. And I really believe the Holy Spirit taught me this. It, uh, <clears throat> the Old Testament's like a flood. When, when a flood comes, and I grew up on a, a large creek. It's bigger than some rivers. It's just a wide, really wide creek. And the Indians named it Yellow Creek years ago, many, many moons ago. And when we would have a flood, whatever trash was on the bank, that flood would pick all that stuff up and wash it downstream. But if you go downstream far enough, it's all piled up behind a log somewhere, you know, or when the water recedes... It's up on the bank somewhere else. That's kind of what the, the sacrifices did in the Old Testament. They just put the sin off, took it out of the way, but it didn't destroy it. It didn't consume it. But a fire consumes it. And that's how the earth's going to be cleansed the next time, not by flood, but by fire. The new covenant, our sins have been destroyed. They're gone. They're not just washed downstream somewhere like the blood of bulls and goats because we have the precious blood of the Lamb that destroyed and consumed our sin. And I'm, I, I'm excited. Aren't you excited? To, I, I, I can't wait to talk to Abraham, Noah. Whoa, man. I, I'm really starting to appreciate Noah more and more and more because that dude... I had to have some patience. Him and Joe both, right? I mean, can you imagine Noah just thinking, how long is this going to take? And my, my, I think two of my favorite people in the Bible are Amram and Jochebed. We were talking about them in our staff meeting today. They had no plan for Moses to be raised in Pharaoh's house. They were just trusting God. And look how God worked all that out. He put her on Pharaoh's payroll, so she got paid to nurse her own son and change his diaper. And just, I mean, it's amazing how big our God is. I love Him. You should have joy in your life because of who He is. And then He says, He's making this ark, so we're coming from the outside, inside out. He's telling them to make it out of gold because that's deity. That's the manifestation of the Lord. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits. This is God's place, right? Gold is deity. And if you study the New Testament, you'll know that Matthew represents Jesus as a king. Mark represents him as a servant. And Luke as a man and John as divine. So that's that four-headed thing you see in Revelation and in Ezekiel. 
showing the different facets of who Jesus is. He was, a, he is the King of Kings. He is the Son of God. He took on the nature of a man, and he is our servant. He served us. But he's more than that. He's the servant of God. But he did serve us as well. He took our sin away. Amen. And he says, you shall, And you shall make one, two cherubim of gold, and hammered work. You shall make them of two ends of the mercy seat. Uh, while you're back there, see if you can find just a picture of the ark with all this stuff we're reading about. Make one cherubim at one end, the cherubim at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim at two ends and one piece of the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. Uh, the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat and between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you to command the children of Israel. So God's saying, that's going to be my place to meet. So it's covered in gold and deity. Um, if you can't, we'll just go back with, the, with our prayer journey there. But, uh, so all this is made, why? Because God wants to be with his people. Do you realize that's the premise of the whole plan? Put it to you this way. God don't need any of us. He'd be just fine whether you and I show up or not. When I got saved, when Billy Graham got saved, when you got saved or whoever, when we got saved, we didn't make God any more God. He was all God before we ever give our life to him. We don't make him any more powerful. We don't make him any smarter. We don't make him any lovelier. So why would God do all this stuff? He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be a part of us. He, he, and he went to the extreme. This is a picture of his presence coming down and being with his people. And Moses is a picture of a deliverer who is to come in Jesus. But all this was fulfilled in Jesus. He actually sacrificed his son. Mind-blowing. There you go. It's a good picture. I wouldn't doubt if that's not what Israel's doing right now, getting ready for their temple. It's beautiful, isn't it? A beautiful picture. And you can see how the Ark of the Covenant, like I was talking about before, when David is on these staves, you got those rings where those poles are there, and it's supposed to be borne up by the priests instead of, hauled in by an ox and a cart. <laughs> but sometimes we get in a hurry, right, in our zeal. Zeal without knowledge, I think, is how the Bible puts it. We get really excited, but we don't have enough knowledge to... So this is beautiful rendering, but you can see all this gold represents deity, represents God, and so he made the place where he would sit down. And there's those cherubim. And so when the high priest would go in once a year on the, on the Day of Atonement and the holy of holies what he would do is he would atone for the people for the whole year and he would pour out the blood of the sacrifice on that ark of the covenant and that ark had the law inside of it and so God was covering us though we could not keep the law we can't keep the law He's covered us with the blood of His Son. That was a picture of what was to come. 
So even though God's mercy has covered us because Christ did fulfill the law, and now I'm in Him, and because I'm in Him, I'm viewed as having fulfilled the law. Isn't that beautiful? Some people said, I don't like being offspring of Adam. I didn't blow it in the garden. Oh, but you would have. <laughs> I love substitutionary things. I love headship. I'm thankful for the last Adam, amen, because all you got to do is look in the mirror and say, I, I've seen enough out of my own life known I'd have blown it in the garden too. I ain't got no stones to throw at Adam and Eve. So substitutionary is a beautiful thing, headship, because God sent his son to cover our sins and to give us new life. We'll stop there. It's a good place to stop. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the beauty of what you've laid out for us in the scripture and how it shows us a picture of your son. You said that your son were to look to him. Uh, even the Holy Spirit said he didn't come to speak of himself. He'd just come to glorify the son. Let us glorify the son. Not with just what we say, but how we live, how we do. We thank you, Lord, for your instruction. We thank you for your word. May we never take it for granted in Jesus' name. Amen.